On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC, we've got an interview with ESPN's Bill Connolly. We talked to Bill about analytics role in football, the SP Plus ranking system that he invented, and we dive into his list of the top 60 college quarterbacks of the 2000s, which has six, yes, six OU guys on it. It is a really interesting interview. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Mike Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Monday, March 8th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in the state of Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordofOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now, we are recording this a few days early because I'm on vacation, but we would never leave you high and dry, people. We've got an awesome interview with Bill Conley from ESPN. Teddy, I I feel like he made us smarter because he's a lot smarter than us. I think that's safe to say. There are it it made me feel dumb and lazy because there's so much data entry and all of that stuff that goes into what uh, if I had a preseason top 25 list I'd look at last year's see, list to see where it ended up and then basically just free will it off of that. He puts a ton of data into what he does. There's a method to the madness. That was just just really cool. Yeah, and, and lots of OU talk. And it, it's just fascinating. The analytics portion of things have grown so much. And Bill Conley is one of the guys that have kind of led the way, especially from a college football perspective. So... We hope you guys enjoy this. It's it's a lot of fun, but you're going to learn a lot, so buckle up. Here's Bill Conley. It is our pleasure to be joined by a writer for ESPN. He is also everyone's favorite college football nerd. Those are his words, not mine. And, oh, yeah, he invented his own ranking system this one time, the SP+. You may have heard of it. Bill Conley is in the house. What's going on, Bill? I just like to clarify, I, I claim the nerd part. I don't think I'm many people's favorite at this exact moment in time, but I'll claim at least the nerd part. That's the funny thing about lists like this is oh, man. no matter who you, it doesn't matter what the list says. You could have came out with five different versions of this list and you would have the same amount of people <laughs> pissed off. Oh yeah, no, it, it was a guarantee. Like when we came up with the idea two months ago, I just kind of laughed. Like I knew how mad people would be, and I didn't even know what was what the rankings were going to be yet. And I was, need, I was needless to say, very correct about uh, the general anger that it produced. Oh, I'm. I can only imagine. And we'll get to that list. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to your list that has everyone that has a radio show or TV show or anything like that talking uh, about the top 60 quarterbacks of the 2000s 
But I did want to ask you some questions about SP plus before we got to the QB list, because I've always found it so interesting. At what point in your life did you decide, you know what? I'm going to invent my own ranking system. Like the rest of these ranking systems suck. We need to incorporate numbers a little more. Like, why did you do it is I, I guess my question, like what motivated you to invent your own ranking system for college football? Well, I, I mean, the biggest motivation was it didn't exist. Uh, it, this was, um, you know, I'm a Mizzou guy. I was starting a Mizzou blog in like 07, which was a pretty good time to start a Mizzou blog um, as it turned out. But I was hungry for content, basically. I was trying to figure out what I was going to write about in the off season that could be semi-unique and interesting. And I realized, you know, I, li- I love baseball, advanced stats. I love baseball stats, hate baseball. Um, what's actually out there for the sport I like. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it was a literal Google college football analytics thing. And, you know, there was nothing. There was, you know, I, I took me to football outsiders, the pro stuff. They had a little bit of college stuff that they were just getting started with. But I realized this was a wide open space. And so I just started pulling in like some of the the the, the baseball ideas I really liked. How does that translate? Started you know, entering play-by-play data into Excel sheets at work, uh, you know, while still getting my work done, of course. Um, but, uh-huh. you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, they didn't complain, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, and just feeling it out and, and, you know, the, the first stab at SP plus back when I had an ampersand that I had to remove at a later date, um, well, it basically stood for success rate. That was the S. That was the efficiency part. It was basically like an on-base plus slugging thing. Success rate was the efficiency part and, and points per play, basically. Equivalent points per play was the uh, the slugging percentage. So it was, it was just I was attempting to kind of look at things at the explosiveness side of things, the efficiency side of things, and, and just kind of feel things out. And it was a lot, a lot of trial and error. This was 07. So it's been many iterations through the years. And, um, at some point I think it actually became good. It sure wasn't at first, but, um, you know, and, and, and so here we are, I, I keep trying to, you know, over these last few years, I've really tried to, to talk to as many coaches as possible and, and understand the actual game, like what, what actually decides things and figure out how to measure that, how it, you know, it, see if it makes my numbers better. Um, and, and it's taken some, I mean, I've really enjoyed the process. It's taken me to some pretty interesting places. Well, I think one of the difficult things has to be, you mentioned 2007, the sport <laughs> is completely different than it yeah. was in 2007. It, it's played differently. It's played at a different tempo. Uh, teams value different things now than they did then. Um, so that's got to make it difficult. Okay, so my question is, is, when did you look at it, tinker with all of your, your data and what you're gonna, how you're going to rate these different things, and then look at it maybe at the beginning of the year or end of the year and say, dang, that was pretty good. I like that. And whenever you did that, was your first thing to then say, how does this work with gambling? Am I going to, because I feel like that's like the natural next step is if you can find a formula that shows how teams should be ranked, well, then the next step is the same formula should predict who's going to win the matchup. I, it's funny. Like I wasn't necessarily thinking about the gambling side of things. Many other people were <laughs> that that's definitely how that was orbiting around a lot of people's heads. And so uh, that's when I, I, I started posting weekly picks at um, I think football study hall back when I was with SB nation, just to kind of have it out there. So everybody could see if it was a good measure or not. And it was decent measure. At least it was typically it'll get, you know, 52 to 54% against the spread for the year, which that's every game. You, you would never bet every game. Somebody tried to do that a couple of years ago, uh, one of my followers, and I begged him every week not to, but you know, it, it, you know, you can get a little bit there. I, I've always treated it as like the first step when it comes to gambling, like here's what SP plus says. It's not taking these injuries into account. You can adjust however you need to there. Uh, but it seems like a good suggestion, a good starting point And, and people seem to like it for that. This last season was just a mess in every possible way. I think it was like 51%. Oh, um, you know, it was just, it was never going to do incredibly well in a pandemic year where the depth charts are changing every week. But to circle back to your first question, like when, do, when, when I realized maybe there's something good here, that was the good part about having a Mizzou blog is it was just a constant sandbox. Like I could just constantly experiment on kind of a small scale, like just within the big 12 there, 
uh, than the SEC. Um, and, you know, I you know, eventually got involved with Football Outsiders, and, and that was a good place to, to write at. Their community is a lot of smart guy, people in that community. They give me a lot of really good ideas. They had seen Aaron Schatz, how, you know, the, how his pro numbers had developed through the years, so it was very – I don't know the best word, but a pretty savvy crowd to, to talk to about this. And I had a weekly column there. So I definitely learned a lot in those early years. And then it was just a matter of, you know, getting, getting better at the math side of things, figuring out the best way to adjust for opponents. That's always going to be the biggest part for a college football measure when, you know, you've, you've got a tiny sample size and, and, and minimal connectivity from conference to conference, especially in 2020. And, um, you know, just uh, like feeling those out, trying a bunch of different things and adding pieces or changing the weighting of this or that and all that. It's, 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 I probably tinker too much, especially this last year, but uh, it's good for tinkering. That's for sure. So I, I assume that it's changed a lot from what you've kind of described from where you started. So now what are the main components for SP plus? Like how, how do you get to the rankings that you're putting out now, like, are, are there just a couple main components? I'm sure it's more complicated than mm-hmm. that, but what are the main things you're looking at now? The, the biggest, this is crazy to say, but the biggest part of the equation remains success rate. Just, um, you know, I, I, I adjusted kind of, I know coaches will say like get 40, like four yards on first down and half your necessary yardage on second. Normally that's what I think that's where coaches usually set the bar figured out the best place to set the bar would be like 50% on first down, 70% on second, hundred percent on third or fourth bang. That number is the most sustainable thing about football like that's the way you even if you're good at making big plays you still don't really know when they're going to come you know it, it often comes with a certain amount of risk or randomness or whatever uh the efficiency aspect of the game is by far the thing that is most in your control and so if you're creating a predictive system you're going to lean the most heavily on the things that are, are are most in teams control and and it's the simplest measure possible besides yards per play i guess and it's uh it is extremely effective for me how i adjust for opponent all those other things after i've kind of derived those original numbers that's changed a lot and it still changes but that the raw success rate number i think it's a gateway drug for analytics as a whole cuz it's super easy to understand if you played football you heard coaches give some sort of example of it um, as t- in terms of, of staying on schedule and Stay it's, ahead it's just, of the change. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and it is remarkably effective and predictive overall. I'll tell you, there's a couple of things interesting. So I, I would guess it's not very long ago that and Mike Leach kind of still does it. He's mm. got a little piece of paper there and he calls the game by Phil. Now he does, he's done the same exact thing for a long time. So there is kind of a methodical nature to it. But my guess is that the more data driven and the more analytical football has become, the easier it can make what you do. Does that make sense? Does it seems like there's a more analytical nature to the way coaches right. approach games and call plays and down and distance and what works and what doesn't. And they kind of stick to that formula. Yeah. It is funny with coaches. I mean, on game day itself, you know, it's Sunday through Friday. You're just basically like honing your instincts and then your instincts just go where they go on Saturday. You just hope they're honed in the right ways. But I do, I definitely, you know, PFF, Championship Analytics, the 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 group that has you know they get binders to the, all their teams in terms of here's when you go for it on fourth down in these situations here's the score and the down and distance and all that. Um, I, I think there have been certain companies that have come about that uh, that are are you still kind of have to trust them. The first, like the first time you decide to look at the book for when to go for it. Um, I think with certain head coaches, if if you go for it and you don't get it that one time, you're throwing the binder away. Mm-hmm. But um, but just generally, I do think there are more companies. I think there are more. Um, it's it's slowly making headway in that regard. And and yeah, I mean, at that point, you'll still you can you'll never hear a coach like give full. Oh yeah, I, I heed the analytics at all times. They always want to say you know it has a time and a place, or you know 
and all that. They but don't want to give it, it is, any credit because if you give all the credit to analytics, right. well, what the hell are we paying all this guy money for? Exactly. Like I, you don't even need me anymore. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it, that Sunday through Friday, I do think we're seeing it impact those instincts, so to speak, quite a bit. And then, I mean, if you ever get to the point where you can have computers in the press box, which we still can't, it's 2021 and we still can't do that. Um, that, that has always kind of, I, I think that would take it even further because then you can just being able to process a lot of information between plays, uh, or, you know, in certain moments, I think helps a lot. The binder like championship really does give them a binder that they can search through and that helps. But, um, it, you know, if they ever get to the point where they have computers or the, or the sponsored iPads with the, with the big Microsoft symbol on the back, like in the NFL, um, I, I think that would push things along even further. Brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Exactly. You got to say it every 38 seconds or the sponsorship expires. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you did, you did come out with your SB plus preseason rankings a couple weeks ago. Mm. And I thought your methodology was really interesting, Bill, because you kind of threw out main three main categories for your rankings. And it was recent recruiting recent history which basically mm. is kind of success that the program has had yeah but then one that uh, you don't hear often is returning production you all you hear returning starters a mm. lot what's the difference with returning production like why do you look at returning production instead well, I just realized a, a few years ago that, A, I've been, you know, as I write the team previews every offseason, I used to write huge pre team previews at SB Nation. We've kind of divvied up my time a little different at ESPN. I still write division previews. I still update the rosters. I just realized I had a lot of information from year to year in spreadsheets about, you know, um, who's back, who's not. And I could pretty easily calculate like percentage of ru running yard, rushing yards back and receiving yards and all these. I could figure out all these categories for a few years back. And I just, through the years, I think we, I, we all know that returning starters is not great. <laughs> just as a, like 14 is good. 12 is bad. 10 is terrible. You know, like we, we, we kind of understand what it means and we know what we we're trying to get out of it. We're trying to figure out like how much experience does this team have and all that. But I just started to realize like, maybe I could do this a little better. Maybe I could start, you know, looking at where these teams were before the season, how much their SP plus rating offense and defense, how much it changed based on whether they had a hundred percent of their passing yards or 75 or whatever. And I started to realize that it, it really was a predictive thing. And I was able to, tinker with the weights. So like, you know, court, we, we know quarterback is a very important position with like that turns out, you know, it's very important. It's like 30% basically, uh, you know, uh, of the overall offensive uh, returning production formula, uh, you know, based on, you know, what is most predictive. So I was able to kind of divvy out weights and figure out what is actually important. And, and at ESPN, I have a little bit more data about snap counts uh, before I couldn't figure it. Like I was using like uh, career starts returning for the offensive line, um, which was okay, but not great. But looking at just the percentage of snap counts from last year, that return is huge. It's, it's awesome. And so um, being able to dive into each unit, figure out what's most important. It's in theory, it's supposed to just be a more sophisticated returning starter number. And it's presented in a percentage that you know, it's pretty easy to understand um, and it seems like it resonates pretty well and it's, it's super predictive too. Quick break. First Fidelity Bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And don't forget to go buy some rock and roll tequila. Rock and roll tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take our word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. 
When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. So whenever you are putting together your preseason list and it's all the data has been crunched, you've put all the numbers in and you hit print or however it works. <laughs> yep. And here comes the list. Has there ever been a result that let's say it's got army number six or something. Has there ever <laughs> been a result where it's like, I can't put them there. Yeah. I know the data says that, but I can't put them there or people are going to think I'm crazy and it's going to throw this whole thing off. Well, luckily this is college football. So we know Alabama is going to be number one. Um, <laughs> and in a given year, we know, like, I mean, the top five or top four this year is Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio state. Like we, we, I know if, if yeah, army shows up in that uh, among that crowd, then I, I clearly, I have the wrong formula linked to the wrong, whatever. And I need to redo it. But yeah, I mean, I'll go back through and um, with anything that looks like a but slight you never know though, right? Because like last year, Iowa mm -hmm. State was yeah. a, a really good football team in Baylor the year before. Yep. And no preseason uh, number would have ever picked where they ended up. But I mean, there there's some things that you could point to to say that maybe that's there, and maybe a system like yours could have found that. But would you would you pull that out and put it somewhere else? Um, well, I would never, I would, if, if I, I would go back and check, let's, uh, you know, I would go back and make sure like, I didn't screw something up. Right. Like I didn't, right. you know, I didn't accidentally say that the, their leading receiver had 10,000 yards last year, therefore they're returning, you know, I, I'll go back and make sure I didn't make an, a manual mistake, but you know, it is the, the factors involved, the recruiting rankings and the, the recent history, which really is, yeah, just a program health check basically, um, those things make it a pretty stable thing. Like there aren't going to be that many surprises. This year is interesting though, because the, um, the idea of returning production with super seniors, um, is, is, it's really different this year. Like typically number one, the, the top team in terms of overall returning production will be somewhere around like 86 to 88%. This year, when I uh, crunched everything out, Louisiana was at, uh, 96%. Uh, UCLA and Miami were at 91%. Um, the, the, the national average, and I'm still updating the G5 roster, so it's, it continues to creep up. But on, on average, that number for the, the national average is typically like 63%. Right now, it's like 70% in climbing. Everybody's returning more. And so the impact that has uh, is going to be really interesting. The Pac-12, like no senior in the Pac-12 was satisfied with the season they had last year for very obvious reasons. Everybody in the Pac-12 returns a, just a boatload of super seniors. And so in theory... You know, I run the numbers and I've got, um, let's see, I've got, I had Oregon at five, but then Shug transferred. So I think they dropped down a little bit, but then you've got Washington at 11, USC at 16, Arizona state at eight or USC at 17, Arizona state, 18, Utah, 19, UCLA projected to improve by like 10 points per game because they return everybody. That's going to, it's this year is going to kind of test the, the, the like the outer limits of, of what returning production can do for you. And Iowa state's projected seventh. they, finished 11th last year they're projected seventh because they returned just about everybody we'll see like you know do you hit your head on a seat like does is at some point do you just reach your upside and returning production can't help you anymore or do you just continue does continuity just continue to help you grow as a team iowa state's going to be a really iowa state and miami actually are going to be the most interesting um test cases i guess for that bill do you look at what your ratings ended up producing for texas and you're like okay 20th is good that's good that's not i didn't put them in the top 10 because right. I, I mean it, it is one of those things every off season you see the longhorns rated extremely high but i would say 20th is reasonable it feels reasonable it passes the reasonable test with both USC and Texas. I think seventeenth and twentieth. Um, that that seems like that that seems too reasonable. I need. I guess Miami's my outlier. Having Miami up in the at eighth uh, is my 
you know, former powers back uh, team for the year. But I am curious, like I am curious about Texas um, just from the standpoint of, well, well, a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with SP plus at the moment, but uh, they do return a lot on offense. If Casey Thompson or whoever the quarterback is sticks, you know, if Sark can work with him, um, I like their skill core a lot. Like I, I think they have obvious potential to do better than 20th, but I like, I like 20th. That's, that's suggesting they're good. So you don't get yelled at too much, but it doesn't put them in the top 10 uh, and uh, before they really need to be. I hope I'm not getting too deep in the weeds, but I want to circle back to the returning production thing Yeah, because we've started to see something in college football that we we've seen in the past, but it's going to be on a much more massive scale. Take Oklahoma, for example, and, and it sparked, whenever you said Miami's returning production, it sparked for me because Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma mm-hmm. is going to Miami. So it's not a returning production for Miami, but it's not a player that has no college experience. Right. So is there a way to weight that in if you have a, a really productive player that transfers to a place that lost a productive player. Yeah, right. it's like it's it's almost like the Tennessee guys that are going yeah. to OU. Right. So right. you kind of stole my question, Ted, because I was going to ask <laughs> ask him how that kind of factors in, like how he adjusts for that mind melt. So, same wavelength. I uh, this is a really elegant uh, and sophisticated thing. I mashed their stats into the their new team stats. So as of now, Charles, and, and it's tricky this year because everybody played such a drastically different number of games. So I had to basically scale everything as if everybody played exactly 12 games. But right now, Charleston Rambo is in Miami's stats for scaled up. That would be 300, 340 receiving yards from last year. So he just gets thrown in. It gets tricky when you know, a P5 team adds a G5 player or yeah. like an FCS player. I've, I've had to figure out. I've kind of given, I've started giving half credit for that basically, but um, it, you know, when it's like for like, when it's P5 to P5, I, it, that seems to work pretty well. And, and so it does help um, a team sometimes like, you know, you'll lose your starting. Well, oh, you knows this well, you'll lose your starting quarterback and, and go out of transfer. Um, and then you end up returning like 50% of your passing yards from last year, as opposed to a hundred percent. And that kind of makes sense. I think it, it, it makes sense in my head. It seems to do good things for the numbers. Um, but it is the, one of the most inelegant possible things that is throw their stats in with their uh, new team. Okay. Before we move on to the QBs list, got to ask you about Oklahoma. You've got them um, preseason number three in your SP plus ranking. Oh, what, what do you think puts them there in your system? And then obviously you're a guy that actually watches the games and keeps <laughs> close tabs on college football. It's not just the numbers. So what do you think of the Sooners uh, for this upcoming season? I mean, we've seen enough from the offense through the years to assume. Well, and I mean, we saw enough from Spencer Rattler last year after the first few games. I mean, even the first few games, he was still good. He just, you know, the defense was letting him down. He threw picks late. Uh, he was still mostly good. And then he was very good the rest of the way. I mean, they're projected first in offense, which they've spent a lot of time at over the last four, five, six years. That makes sense. The, I guess – this is where, you know, I have to lean on the stats. My eyeballs loved Ronnie Perkins so much that I worry about the his, losing him, seeing the impact he had when he when he basically hopped in midseason. That defense just went to a completely different level. They they finished 15th on defense. So they really don't lose much. You lose Perkins, you lose Stokes, um, a couple DBs, I guess, but the, the big pieces are there and the big disruptive pieces. That's one of the things I've definitely on the returning production scale, like the number of, of tackles for loss that you return ends up making as big, a, almost as big a difference as tackles and, and passes defense. If you're for the secondary, you know, just the, the that disruptive ability matters a lot so losing Perkins hurt but getting Thomas back he had a ton of of tackles for loss getting Benito back obviously it seems like from a number standpoint what it's saying is you know you got enough of last year's back super uh, uh, efficient that success rate measure I was talking about ninth in success rate last year Uh, when you gave up a big play it was a really big play but um, that efficiency thing the numbers seem to trust that OU has enough returning that they can match basically last year. The projection of what 16th. And I mean, an OU team with a number 16 defense at this point, that sounds like a contender. It's been, 
it's been a while since they had a, a, a defense, I think, that ranked quite that high. They almost made the national title game with uh, in, in what was that, 2017, where, where I think the defense was like 30th or something. So, I mean, yeah, if the defense can hit that mark, I don't know why they wouldn't be a contender. You, oh, so you were talking about Spencer Rattler in the offense and how much trust there is in that system. So it really kind of boils down to what happens defensively. But it yeah. made me think of the question – Spencer Rattler was a freshman last year. Is there ever a way that – do you predict that a freshman to his sophomore year is going to be the same? Or do you predict that a freshman to his sophomore year is going to get 10% better, 15% better? How does that work? In the, in the returning production equation itself, it's just basically do, do last year's yards come back. But I did something for Football Outsiders. God, it would have been like 11 years ago now. So who knows if it's still up to date. But it definitely, I was looking at, you know, quarterbacks, especially how, when does their production improve? Like how much do they improve from redshirt freshman or true freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior or whatever? And it basically said like most of your improvement is done in the first two years on campus which I guess kind of makes sense. Um, that, that would have been, if I had just taken a, a logical stab, I would have probably said something to that effect. So if that's still uh, up to date, and I really should probably circle back and try to figure that, uh, you know, set that all up again, see if it's still the same. If that's, it, it would make sense. And it would also suggest that this coming year is where Spencer Rattler will show the most improvement. Um, and, and again, I mean, he cleared most of the bars he was given last year. So if he improves off of that, that's a really good sign. Yeah. I, I think we're all expecting him to get better. All right, Bill, it's time. The list <laughs> that every sports media personality has talked about <laughs> over the last week, the top 60 quarterbacks of the two thousands, what all went into the list? Obviously you're very much a data driven guy but what were kind of the main factors that helped you compile this list which everyone now hates you for <laughs> yeah um well it, it was i mean i always start with stats for sure like I, I i pulled all the you know all the eligible quarterbacks you basically my one rule was you had to play two years in the 2000s because it was really tricky trying to figure out like what do i do with michael vick if he played in 2000 and he was, he was michael vick but his good year was 99. He was hurt in 2000. So does he rank? Does he not? And it was just hurt in my head. Josh Heupel being another one, obviously. Um, so I just basically said, you had to play at least two years in the 2000s. But so went back and pulled all the passing stats that, um, you know, of all the eligible players during that time. And I, I tr first thing I tried to do was compare their performance to that year's performance. Because obviously the quarterback position has changed dramatically in the last 20 years. But, you know, compare how you did in 2000 to how other 2000 quarterbacks were doing and, and kind of created a scale for that. And, you know, looked at all the all the basic stuff, the yards and the yards per pass and the passer so, rating. And so and that's all those basically things. so that's how you kind of factored in how the game has changed in general. Right. right? Okay. Right. Yeah. That's of course, that's so, very smart. I, I should I, not be surprised. <laughs> well, um, and, and so basically I started with that and, and kind of created a, a general scale for like you were 97th percentile in 2001, that kind of thing, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I was able to then look at like, what was your best year? Um, and I was able to compare all every quarterback's best years. That was one way. Look at their averages, look at their totals, you know, just kind of, it ended up basically that I had to create a few different lists because if you just think about trying to compare Cam Newton to Baker Mayfield, um, how in the world do you do that? You know, Cam Newton had the single, probably the single best season for a quarterback ever, unless Joe Burrow uh, topped him last year, but Cam Newton played one, he had 2,900 career passing yards. Baker Mayfield did that like half a season and he played four seasons. So like comparing those two was really hard. And I ended up, it ended up being kind of a list of standout characteristics. Like was your best year among the best ever? Was your career total among the best ever? Were your averages among the best ever? And, and you, and created a bunch of different, you know, mul you know, a, a multi-year quarterbacks list and a single year explosion quarterbacks list. And then just slowly kind of sewed them together, like compared the top to the top name in each category and said, okay, who do I think, 
who should be ahead of whom here? Should it be Baker? Should it be Cam? Should it be whoever? Um, and then just slowly worked my way back and uh, ended up I, like the, the craziest part about this exercise. And nobody likes this. This, uh, you know, this is not good rationale. Um, but basically, there are six guys who absolutely could have been number one without a doubt. Um, you know, uh, uh, Newton, uh, Mayfield, Young, Tebow, Burrow, Watson, any of them could have easily been number one. And, and I, don't, I think, you know, it would have been the same level of complaining, but it would, have, you know, it would have been acceptable. It, 19 guys probably should have been in the top 10. Like if you had asked me beforehand, um, you know, where's Kellen Moore going to be? I'd say, oh, probably, probably top 10, surely, right? Uh, Tua or, or Andrew Luck. Well, that's, yeah, surely they're top 10. There are 19 of those guys. So only 10 of them made the top 10. So that was hard. And then there were approximately, I think my initial list had basically everybody I thought should be considered for the top 60. It was 115 guys. So... <laughs> Like it was just impossible. Basically, there was absolutely no way to get in, fit in all the names and, and put them where I felt they deserved because there had just been too many good quarterbacks in the last 21 years. So that's been like as guys, you know, I, I've had people complain. AJ McCarron actually is, is a name that's come up a lot. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't make the list. Probably should have. I can say that because I <laughs> yeah, he was really good. He probably should have made the list, but I don't know who I'd eliminate from the list for him. Um, Brandon Whedon was an interesting one, by the way, I put, uh, because Mason Rudolph kind of cleared that volume bar because he threw for like 13,000 something yards. He did make the list. Brandon Whedon, like his stats weren't quite what I remembered them and he didn't get much Heisman, you know, uh, he didn't get much, uh, I don't remember what his vote total was, but it wasn't very much. Uh, and he really didn't end up with any kind of standout trait. He almost led Oklahoma state to a national title game. So he should have probably been on the list. I don't know who I would have bumped out ahead of him. It was just an impossible thing. And so um, when people say that so-and-so should have been there and I say, yeah, you're probably right. That doesn't seem to satisfy them very much. (laughs) Right. Quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com and tell them we sent you. Also, make sure you stop by Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for March's Kitchen Cash-In, all wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing AGS machines will win a continental stand mixer. Let's go. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Okay, back to the interview. Who on the list showed up whenever you punched in all the data? Who showed up on the list to where you were like, dang. I didn't, I didn't realize that this guy was actually this good. And maybe at the time we didn't realize what a talent he was. Uh, I, I, in the write-up, I mentioned that I felt like Marcus Mariota. We almost uh, don't, he, he, he won the Heisman. He made the national title game, but I feel like he kind of gets underappreciated now. Mm-hmm. His 2014 stats, like 5,200 combined passing and rushing yards, 57 touchdowns. Now Joe Burrow topped that. Almost nobody else has taught. I don't think anybody else has taught that. So that was one of those where 
for whatever reason, maybe it was the pro, you know, because we've seen how these guys have or haven't done in the pros and, and that impacts our perceptions to whatever level, but just laying the names out on in, in a spreadsheet. That was one where I was like, damn, that guy was like, I, I was not giving that guy enough credit. And then there are other guys that as I wrote the blurbs, I started at 60 and wrote up uh, from there as I kind of wrote them out or, or saw their stats next to somebody else. I had to move like Colin Kaepernick went up a bunch. Um, you know, I, maybe he wouldn't get enough credit because it was Nevada, but the stats he produced, Nevada, sorry. Uh, I get yelled at for that. Um, but the we're stats he produced and the- say whatever you want. Everything's <laughs> we're, we're not, we don't care how you say Nevada. <laughs> it doesn't bother us one bit. Um, but, the, but you know, the stats he produced and um, in the system that, the, the, that became so influential, I ended up moving him up a few spots. So it really was kind of a process of guys were still kind of moving up and down as I wrote it. But um, yeah, as far as good stats go, somehow I think uh, we don't appreciate Marcus Mariota enough when he won all the awards and almost won the national title. So I was reading the list and I'm scrolling and I get to number 54 and I look at it (laughs) and I look at it again and I look at it again and it says Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech. And Bill, that just had to <laughs> cause you physical pain, I assume, to put in there knowing the blowback you were going to get for it, right? I, I think the part of the list that made me laugh out loud the most, aside from having Colt McCoy right ahead of Johnny Manziel, which uh, <laughs> was something, um, having 54 through 56 be Mahomes, Todd Racing, Aaron Rodgers, and having Racing ahead of Aaron Rodgers just made me like that. <laughs> he screams was good at Kansas, football. man. That dude could sling it. I, I, it was just, it was a beautiful thing. It was a reminder that college football quarterbacks are all shapes and sizes, I guess. But Mahomes, well, I mean, yeah, if like, you went back a couple more years, Tom Brady probably wouldn't be on the list. <laughs> no, no, Matt Ryan wasn't on the list. He threw way too many picks, but, um, but Mahomes at 54, because like in college, he was basically a high upside BJ Simmons. Like BJ, like BJ Simmons' stats gave him a case to be on the list too. Um, but he's Patrick Mahomes and he became Patrick Mahomes. And so it was really hard to place him just right. If I went simply by system and yards per pass and all that, he was, a th- he was asked to throw 50 passes a game. So of course his, his volume stats were good, but like he was borderline, whether he gets uh, included on the list or not, I put him on there. Cause I remembered watching him and you know, how far he could throw the ball and all that. But yeah, that was the best exercise. That was my proof that I really am focusing on college here. I'm not letting uh, the pro success or lack thereof impact this list uh, very much because yeah, it was, and of course, somebody pointed it out to him and he tweeted it out on Friday. Oh, dang, couldn't even make the top 50. But um, but I mean, I think I can justify it. Like he, he's, he's amazing and he could throw the ball a million yards. But I mean, you know, his stats are still his stats in college, I guess. They lost. So he threw for 800 and something yards against Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, and then I think they lost the next week. <laughs> they scored like six points. It got beat like 50 to six by Iowa State or something crazy like that. So, I mean, it it does make sense. Um, Were you shocked? Because I think we we get, whenever we remember players and how great they were, and it's not that they weren't, but were you shocked whenever you went back and just saw how drastic the change (laughs) is in statistics for guys now compared to then? And do you have an explanation as to why it's gone that way? Yeah, I mean, it is funny. Um, You know, 34 and 35 on the list are Ken Dorsey and Mac Jones. And basically the way I framed it was like Ken Dorsey was the early 2000s Mac Jones. Dorsey played what, three I think he was My the starter. God, for three. that's a great comparison. <laughs> well, it, it, so in th- I think he basically played for most of three years. He ended up with 9,500 career yards, so about 3,000 per year ish, something in that neighborhood. Mac Jones ended up with six over 6,000 career passing yards. He played. He started one year, um, and it wasn't even a full like he didn't even get 15 games for making the national title game. He only played 13 games, and a few last year he ended up with over 6,000 career yards, 74 percent completion rate. Ken Dorsey had a 58 percent completion rate. Um, it really is. I mean, the college coach is figuring out, you know, well, I mean, going back to, you know, Mike Leach, going back to whatever, Joe Tiller, I guess, in the late 90s, the guys that started really figuring out how to throw the ball safely and efficiently. 
uh, you know, trickling down to call uh, to high schools where the, the prospects are a little more developed when they get to college. It's all these little things that started happening a long time ago. The big 12 offenses in the, in the two thousands, all those Texas quarterbacks, all these things just started adding up. And I think coaches have started to realize they've just, they can do more with the quarterback position than maybe they thought they could 20 years ago. And so, I mean, I, there's no question that, that the game has developed in that regard. You know, the, it, it's it's more efficient to throw the ball a little bit more than maybe you would have before. Um, I mean, that was Mike Leach is crazy, but he and how mummy certainly figured that out before everybody else. Like you can it's not the whole the old, you know, three things can happen and two are bad kind of thing. You could just throw the ball a lot and it'll probably work out OK for you. And, and I, I um, last summer I wrote a thing about uh, LSU their success being kind of like bringing the spread revolution to a close, you know, this it's, it's over the spread one, everybody runs the spread. Now spread is pro style. Now, all of those things, all of these developments have come with more passing and more passing yards. And it's been super fun to watch. Okay. You have six. OU guys on your (laughs) list, six. And uh, you know, we obviously are very familiar with the great run of quarterbacks that OU has had, but, I was very glad to see Landry Jones on there. He was my quarterback <laughs> in college and he checks in at number 36, which I yep. think a lot of people saw that and they're like, damn, that's high. But I loved your description. Uh, and I actually wrote it down quote. It was hard to appreciate his steady excellence in real time. But by the time he had graduated, he'd put together a four year statistical resume that even in the near decade that has followed, no one has surpassed. Why is it so hard for people to appreciate what he did at OU, Bill? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, big wins, whatever, you know, didn't, you know, threaten to win the national title, I guess. I mean, there were plenty of other issues. Um, I think if I remember right, I mean, that's kind of when the defenses started to to, de- uh, to decline a little bit for Bob Stoops. But yeah, actually, I'm going to pull up like, so his first year was 09, right? Like he was 09 through 12. Is that right? Correct. Um, he was true. So, he got thrust in, and Sam Bradford right. got hurt. No nine. So I would game. assume part of there's no Did question that OU well. fans. <laughs> there's no question that OU fans. Well, I like uh, my my friends at the Lost Ogle there in Oklahoma City. Um, I've, I've met them before. Um, dude just hates Landry Jones. Like it's just like it's a personal <laughs> all time resentment. It's accurate. Um, and, and I think part of it is that. Kind of hates me too, by the way. (laughs) That's kind of his thing. He's a lovable hater, I guess. But, um, you know, it kind of, Bradford's injury kind of ruined 09. I think maybe that's just part of it right there. Like he couldn't come in and immediately be Sam Bradford. Maybe there's some resentment from that. Um, But, you know, on offense, they went from 36th and 09. They were first in 08, of course, because that was the greatest offense I've ever seen. But 36th and 09, 17th in 2010, seventh in 2011 and second in 2012 um just consistently got a little better each year um through for millions and millions of yards i guess honestly it might just come down to the simple fact that they did lose a couple games that they somehow there's no way they should have lost they figured out a way to lose i think OU was kind of do some of those losses if we're being honest because they won a whole heck of a lot of games in the big 12 before that and maybe it's as simple as that he was associated with the types of losses, you know, to Missouri in 2010, one of my one of my favorite moments ever. Um, you know, then losing track, losing ground to Baylor after that. You know, maybe it's just all those other factors. But yeah, for whatever reason, he managed to throw for 1600 or 16,000 career yards and not be all that beloved when he left. It's it's really hard to pull that off. Jason White, that's who I played with. He won the Heisman Trophy in 2003. Had another really good year, 2004. Um, you know, he, he, we remember Oklahoma fans remember him as the double knee brace guy oh. that, you know, was out there in the pocket. But whenever he first started at Oklahoma, was an incredible athlete, was a phenomenal basketball player in, in high school, got recruited to play basketball. So, uh, how hard, how difficult is it to look at a guy that changes? not necessarily in a negative way, but goes from one type of player to a completely different type of player throughout his tenure. Yeah. He was one of those guys that, well, first of all, I mean, I was, I graduated high school in Weatherford, Oklahoma in 1997. Like I was still like, that was right when he was kind of building his legend in Tuttle. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, like he was the, 
um, sure thing, ridiculous athlete, um, just like unbelievable prospect for his athleticism. So yeah, Hold on. I barely... had no idea you were from either. Oklahoma. What the hell? Go, go Trent no Rattery. Trent Rattery's older brother is, my, is, you know, best high school friend right there. You were a Weatherford wow. Eagle. I was a Weatherford Eagle who was at both semifinal games in 1999, by the way. I'm, po- I'm pointing to. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. <laughs> and the uh, finals. You didn't go to that championship game in Stillwater. I, did, I did come back to Stillwater for that championship oh. game. <laughs> I, oh. I I think I enjoyed Run the analytics on that thing, would you? <laughs> yeah, that night. Dude, what a small world. I have yeah. I've been reading your shit for years. I had no idea. <laughs> wow. Zero clue. That's yeah, awesome. No, I was in the family section of the OU Missouri game in 2007 at Owen Field. Um because of the ratteries and uh yeah i had to, i had my mizzou shirt on but i had to put an ou shirt on over over top of it um so <laughs> anyway yes i do remember the the original jason white and um he, he in the end he was you know it, it, doing the era comparison that i did helped him out a lot obviously because um, you look at his numbers now Barely like two career rushing touchdowns for Jason White, mega athlete Jason White is crazy. But seventy nine hundred passing yards and, and eighty one touchdowns is that's good, but you don't really see why that stands out. But in two thousand three, doing what he did in two thousand four, doing what he did, um, it was it, it stood out a lot more. And one of the things I incorporated into these numbers as well, just as another form of input, was was Heisman votes, just to as a way of reminding myself how people were regarded at the time. And I mean, dude won the Heisman and, and came, didn't he come close a second time? I think like top three or four the next year, like he He was Adrian probably would have won either one of them had the other guy not been there. Yeah. And so, I mean, like that's when you're that well-regarded and your offense has scored that many points and you still produce what is for the time, very, very heavy passing yards. Like that gets you on the list for sure. And he's one of those like Troy Smith being right around there too. Like, yeah, Troy Smith is 31. I put them right together. Um, you know, the 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 last game of the season sometimes very much impacts how we remember a guy. And for both White and Smith, obviously the last game of their last couple seasons was that, that changed things pretty dramatically for both. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting that you you took those championship games into account. Now, I won't lie. <laughs> I saw Jalen Hurts at number 23 and I was surprised. <laughs> Because and it's kind of weird, Bill. Because he's got this weird relationship with OU fans. Like he mm. was incredibly productive here, but for some reason it didn't feel the same because <laughs> he had come from Bama. I don't. It, it's hard to describe, but I mean, twenty three is high, yeah, for, for him. So like, is his career a little underappreciated by people because of what happened with Tua and him getting benched and that type of stuff at Bama and yeah. then going to OU. Is that, is that kind of how you see it? I, th- I think so. I mean, we, we, ve- we got a very, very clear impression of, of his limits, I guess you could say like with um, he was a little more robotic than like Tua was when Tua replaced him in, in that like he, he would make the right read at all times and he uh, could fight for extra yardage. He could do all these things, but if defenses could match your talent, he, you could kind of bait him into making certain reads. Uh, you could contain him maybe a little bit more, but he was such a good runner and he was still a better passer than I think a lot of people even thought. I mean, in 9,400 career passing yards and 3,200 career rushing yards, that's an average of what almost like 2,500 passing yards and 800 rushing yards per year. Uh, he didn't start one of those years. He barely played in his junior season and he still averaged that. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, just that was one of those where he started as a true freshman he was SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman, and he just played so much and and um, and and got the opportunity to play in so many big games that a his stats were ended up pretty great, and b because he played in so many big games, he played against a lot of good defenses and occasionally didn't look amazing. So I just think his success got on the opportunity to to kind of understand his limits. I think he was one of the best quarterbacks of in in recent uh, college football history. He would have been. I'd have loved it, you know, as a Mizzou guy. I would have sure loved it if he uh, had played for Mizzou for four years. Make sure you contact our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic at Sand Springs. 
They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic at Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right. And don't forget to send your children to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, back to the interview. Sammy B, we got to talk about Bradford. That You mentioned it, that 08 offense is, uh, you said the greatest offense you've ever seen. And we've seen some teams kind of replicate that here recently, uh, but compared to the peers at the time, mm. it, was, right. it was ridiculous. So talk about just a little bit of what you saw whenever you dug back into the numbers in 08 and how it compared really to that era. Yeah, I mean, basically playing two years and throwing for 8,400 yards, um, to, to whatever that was, 13 and 14 years ago is is pretty ridiculous in and of itself. But I think the most in, the interesting thing about thinking back on the, the 08 team especially, like, the, you know, I've, ta- I've been able to talk to Kevin Wilson about those uh, offenses a couple of times. It's one of my favorite things to do is to get him going about those 08, uh, that 08 offense and ha- him talking about how, like, we can go from big to little without substituting and we can go really fast. And this is 2008. So nobody knew how to stop a really uh, high tempo offense yet. And obviously that's changed a little bit. Um, but then you just think about like, yeah, you yeah, make had... a defensive lineman roll around on the ground and grab his ankle. Exactly. Right? That's, Correct. That's, that's, that's what we've come up with in the last 15 years. <laughs> the, um, the, but I mean, just they had Jermaine Grisham who was awesome. He had DeMarco Murray when Murray was healthy. That's great. Uh, his receivers were good. Like, I mean, Iglesias was good. Manny Johnson was good. The, it wasn't Jamar Chase. You know, it wasn't uh, Devontae Smith. It, it, they were just good receivers. And uh, the the fact that they, you know, whatever was 58 or more points, and Wilson will point out, like, we could have scored 60 against Kansas State if we wanted to. We called it off, called off the dogs at halftime. But, um, you know, the fact that they were able to put up those absurd numbers, they're still absurd now, point totals, um, with what was basically a very good but not elite skill core is is crazy. And and Bradford's decision-making was just perfect for so much of those times. And his, you know, two passes basically against Florida. Um, you know, if he completes two extra passes in the red zone against Florida, he's in the top 10. That's... That's really interesting to think about the receiving <laughs> core of that 08 team. Like I, I hadn't thought about the receivers on that team in a while. And Teddy and I were talking about OU quarterbacks the other day. And I still think if I could pick one guy, if it came down to making one accurate throw, <laughs> I'm taking Bradford. Uh, I know that Kyler and Baker have been ridiculous, but man, that dude could spin the football. Now, Kyler Murray, number seven. <sighs> on your list one spot in front of Lamar Jackson who checks in at number eight I assume the passing is kind of what separated Kyler there but just how ridiculous was it when when you just kind of dove into his stats I mean that year he had was absurd yeah it took all year that was one of the most enjoyable years Maybe it's because we all assumed he was playing baseball and therefore we didn't have to spend the entire year arguing about his, whether he'd be a good draft pick or not. Like it was just, it was just a clean slate to just watch him play football and enjoy it. Um, but that, you know, the stats he produced that year, um, you know, he, he succeeds what is apparently the number one quarterback of the two thousands and basically outdoes him from a stat perspective. Um, it was absolutely nuts. And I don't know, you know, what, 4,361 passing yards and 1,478 rushing yards in a season. Um, that doesn't, that's not supposed to happen. That was, I mean, um, Mizzou fans have been yelling at me for not including Brad Smith on this list. And and I mean, he, he, I love Brad Smith. And he was the first guy to average 2,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards in a season. 
Kyler Murray almost went for 4,500 or 1,500 in a season, just like a decade later, basically. And um, it, it really was, you know, you see some single season, some supernova guys in there. Cam Newton was the top one. Vince Young wasn't quite a single season guy. He was like one and a half season, but Burrow's there at five. And, I, you know, you could honestly – if he maybe if he had won a national title, maybe if he had won a little a couple extra games, uh, maybe he gets higher. But I, I had no problem with putting Kyler ahead of, <laughs> I mean, some amazing quarterbacks, Lamar and Mariota and Lawrence and all these guys. Like that one season he had was utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I, I've got no argument with where Kyler is. Okay, so that brings us to Baker Mayfield, number one, and you already mentioned that any one of about six or seven guys yeah. had a claim to that number one spot. So my real question is what fan base has delivered the most hatred for the Baker Mayfield number one overall. And does anyone know that you're from Oklahoma or is the cat out of the bag now? Should you have not said that on our podcast? I, I thought that people knew that, but it's one of those things where I mentioned it like six years ago on Twitter. And therefore I assume everybody saw it and that's not the way Twitter works. So um <laughs> So maybe I thought I was safer than I was, but you may have to edit that out. That's right. I, have to go back. I legitimately I pulled up your Wikipedia earlier before we were having. Wait, do I have we a Wikipedia? Having, I think so, or oh, something snap. like similar to. Like I pulled Sweet. something up, and I was like trying to learn as much as I could about you before we had you on. I I still had no idea you're from Oklahoma. <laughs> Weatherford Eagles. Um, no, so so basically, um, and, and I did have uh, like a couple people who know me. Basically, they they tried to uh, point out that maybe I was biased there, but in the end, like yeah, I think the top six guys: Watson, Burrow, Tebow, Young, Newton, Mayfield. Any of them could could have been number one, and I went with Mayfield primarily because he seemed to be the best combination. His his best season it wasn't Newton, Burrow. Uh, uh, well, Kyler even, but it was very, 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 very good. Good enough to win the Heisman. Good enough to get drafted number one the next year as a six footer. Or what, what was he listed at six one? I guess. Um, you know, he, his his upside was there. He 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 cleared the bar from an upside perspective. He cleared the ball from an accomplishments perspective. You know, bringing OU not bringing them back, but they hadn't won a big 12 title in a couple of years. They really had ceded control of the conference to a certain degree to other teams. They come in and, you know, started long-term winning streak with him again, two college football playoffs, all but makes a college football play uh, final uh, in 2017. That seemed to clear the accomplishments bar to me. So really it was just, he had the best combination. T obviously like Tebow did most of that too. Um, you know, he had, his stats weren't quite as, his volume stats weren't quite as good, but he played a decade earlier. So you could make a case that, you know, if Tim Tebow comes around in 2016 through 19, and instead of 06 through 09, maybe he matches uh, Mayfield stats, but he was so efficient. He was so consistent over the course of three years. He won stuff. He won the Heisman. He, um, as I put it in there, like Newton Young and Burrow had the best seasons. He had the best career. And I, I don't mind, even if he didn't win a national title, he accomplished enough to me that, that it, it, it made sense to put him number one. So you've put together the list, right? Uh, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's debating it. But I just have one question for you before we let you get out of here, Bill. If you had to pick one guy to win a game, let's say you know, everything else is equal, all the players are equal around him, all of that is eliminated. You you have to pick one quarterback off this list to win a football game. Who are you taking? Robert Cam. I think like I, I that's why I consider him to have had the best season um, ever. Like the, his supporting cast wasn't quite as good as, but wasn't nearly as good as Burroughs. Uh, wasn't nearly as good of what as what Young or Tebow had. His offensive talent wasn't as good as what Baker had. Um, if he'd played two years, even he probably ends up number one on this list. But I think I, I go with with Cam Newton to win a game because you know he could throw. He was probably a better passer than Vince Young, I guess. Yeah, I'd say he's a better passer than Vince Young. And I mean the running. Maybe he was. He's just about the only runner more scary than Vince Young. I've just got. I've got a suggestion. And a question. The question okay. is, as a as a numbers guy, as a stats guy, as an analytical guy, is there an annoyance? <laughs> whether it's the teams don't 
take the ball when they win the toss or that they don't go for two in a certain situation or don't go for uh, go for it on fourth down. Is there something that you see routinely and you're like, why does no one do this properly? It's the easiest thing ever. Well, I got tired of, of talking about fourth downs at some point or another because um, I think like I'd go to the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference every year and they talk about basketball and baseball and then football would just be like, oh, and football, like uh, fourth downs, they should go for it more. And then they go back to talking about baseball or basketball. So I got kind of tired of it because I thought we talked about it as if it was the only thing that numbers could help in football. But now that numbers are helping, like now that you've got the books, you've got the binders, you you can have the logic explained to you. You've seen teams like Army go out and basically go for it on every fourth and three and win 10 games. Um, you know, now that we've seen all these examples of, of how, you know, proper, efficient handling of fourth downs can work, there's no excuse for, say, Lincoln Riley to kick an 18-yard field goal on the first possession of the game, ever. That's like, what I was just, hunting for. That's yeah. what I was looking for right there, the, the jab at Lincoln. That was great. Love no, it. the the Iowa State. What was it? Was it Iowa State when he did that, and then he did it against mm-hmm. Texas? It was like a 19 yard field goal or something. Um, like, man, like you've got the best offense in the country on average every single year. Go for the freaking seven points. Like, like that's the it does. He's he's really interesting in the in his combination of being so innovative and interesting and creative and so old school Texan with some some of his actual coaching tendencies. All right, and my suggestion is this, and Gabe. This is really for you. And I, I would love to know this because in my opinion, the, the reason for the success at Oklahoma, obviously the quarterback play has been exceptional, uh, exceptional, but I think it's the offensive line. That's yeah. why I think they have so much success. And my argument is that it's, it's not comparable. You can't take Baker Mayfield and have him go play for – Kansas State or Kansas and he's (laughs) going to be the player he is so there's got to be a way to look at like offensive line draft or offensive line experience in like where these guys get drafted to see whether it was the quarterback (laughs) or it was the offensive line we need to settle that because (laughs) I'm an offensive line guy it um it gets harder I think every year I think people are starting to accept that that sacks are not not a hundred percent, but sacks are a quarterback stat too. Um, I think that's been a, a development that we've seen, especially on the pro. Throw side. the damn ball. <laughs> right. I definitely think we've seen a little bit of like just the whatever you want to call it, the overall narrative. I think has shifted on sacks a little bit, which is good. Um, and and you know it, it it colors the way we think back on some guys. I think, but yeah, there is that. I, I do think it's it's so ridiculously hard to to try to separate out in the game of football. But we do get we, there are little victories like that. And I think people are starting to understand that sometimes that's the quarterback's fault. Coming back, Gabe. O line coming back. <laughs> Bill, uh, I really appreciate the time, man. I, I feel smarter than before this interview but i also feel dumber than i did before this interview so it's it's a weird feeling but really appreciate the time man thank you for joining us absolutely episode 92 in the books we'll have a new podcast that'll drop thursday morning ou legend ryan Broyles will join us on that episode just a reminder you can hear teddy from two to six on sports talk 1400 and you can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.